Okay, so if you want to get your Bibles and open them up uh, to... Thanks, Darren. Bless you, mate. Um, If you want to open them up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, starting in verse 18. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible with you um, in this amazing church, they actually have Bibles on seats for you. So you can grab a Bible uh, in front of you and, and open up one to Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25. In terms of translations, uh, there are a number of really good translations in the English. The NIV is great here. Um, uh, The ESV is also sticks really closely to the Greek or the NASB. Um, New King James is pretty literal as well. So there are a few good translations um, of this passage. So let's read this together, shall we? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thanks to you, God, for your word to us today. And we pray, Lord God, that you would open up our hearts, open up our ears to hear what it is that you're saying to us as a community today. Lord, I pray that you would bless us richly as we learn about this wonderful moment in history, the incarnation, the moment that your son Jesus came into the world. We pray we might learn about his nature and about his mission and how that intersects with our lives here in the 21st century. And Lord, we pray that as we hear the word that you would keep me on track. Lord, that I would not preach my own ideas, my own preoccupations, but would stick closely to what it is that you're saying here In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a few things I do want to say just on on this text before we dive in. Um, Firstly, in terms of translations, um, lots of questions, really good questions uh, that we have as Christians in terms of our Bible translations. Uh, Which is a good translation to read? How do we know it's a good translation to read? I want to just touch on this quickly before we jump in. Um, because it's something that I think is super relevant in this day and age for us to know um, why, uh, why there are translations, different ones in English, and which ones are good for us to be reading. So this question comes because I have people will ask me, they'll say, um, is this a good translation? Is this a, a good translation in English of the Bible? I'll also have Muslims who I'll speak to on the streets will tell me something like, well, you know, the Bible's been changed 
over the centuries. Don't you realize that? And when I'll ask them what they mean by that, they say, well, first you had the New King James, then you had the NIV, then you had the ESV, then you've got the NASB. And what they think is that these are different translations in terms of the fact they think that there was first the English translation of the New King James, and then that it was changed to the NIV, and then it was retranslated from the NIV. To, do you see what I mean? That they were sort of successive translations. But that's not how translation works. So when we're reading the Bible in English, what we're reading is a translation of a Greek text in the New Testament. And where does that Greek text come from? Well, it might come from a number of places. If you're reading the New King James, that translation comes from something called the Textus Receptus, okay? The Textus Receptus, the TR. Now that is a Greek translation of the New Testament that comes from the 16th century, from the time of the Reformation. It was a guy called Desiderius Erasmus, a Dutch guy who translated it. And that Textus Receptus was translated from a number of early Greek manuscripts, okay? Manuscripts are essentially fragments of the Greek text that we have today. Now, the Textus Receptus was translated from a, a decent portion of those manuscripts, but obviously, in the 16th century, they didn't actually have the amount of manuscripts available to them that we do today. We found more, um, and they're widely available. So what does that mean for us? Well, it actually means that in the 21st century, we can actually get a more accurate translation of the New Testament than they could in the 16th century because we've got a greater pool of manuscripts available to us. In fact, we've got over 5,000 Greek manuscripts uh, that we can look at today to uh, translate the Bible into English. And so it's, it's false to say um, that each English translation is simply a, a change or it's been, you know, it's an error because we can go right back to those early centuries after the Gospels and the, the epistles were written, and we can see those Greek manuscripts and we translate from them. So any good translation is going to be one that either tries to give you the most accurate translation of the Greek in terms of the New Testament, or it's going to be a good translation because it tries to translate for you the, the meaning or the, the thoughts that are trying to be conveyed. So the NIV, for example, is a great translation. It doesn't stick as closely to the Greek language as the ESV does, but it tries to tell you thought for thought, for thought uh, what's happening, okay? Whereas the ESV is being rigorous, it's trying to just give you the literal Greek that's there, okay? Uh, so NIV is a great translation for trying to understand what's happening here. Um, ESV is great if you just want it really stuck close to the original Greek. The NAS, NASB is the same. The New Living is quite similar to the, the NIV. It tries to give you thought for thought. It's brilliant. Now, here's my gripe, okay? Most Christians these days don't choose a Bible translation based upon any of what I've just told you, okay? They choose a Bible translation because they like the way it sounds. I prefer this one. Why do you prefer it? I like the sound of it, okay? Now, recently, a Bible translation has come out that everybody in the charismatic sphere likes the sound of, okay? It's called the Passion Translation. The problem with something like the Passion Translation is that it wasn't written by somebody who is a student of Greek. The guy who wrote it doesn't study Greek, doesn't know Greek. 
and equally doesn't know Hebrew. So the problem is, though it might sound nice, actually in terms of a translation, it's not a very good one. So let's start looking at the, the text then, shall we? So whereas last week we covered the story of Mary, this week we're going to be looking at the story from the other side. We're going to be looking at it from Joseph's perspective. Now, Joseph's visited here by an angel, and this angel brings some encouragement to Joseph. He allays his fears and tells him something about this new son who's going to, and who he's going to grow up to be. Now, our focus this Sunday... Cheers, Mike. Great. Our focus this Sunday, which is the third Sunday in Advent, is going to be on the subject of joy. Why at Christmas do we sing about and celebrate joy? Why is joy so central to the life of a Christian? And today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, which deals with Joseph's encounter with an angel, I believe we're going to understand something about joy. I think we're going to understand or even experience something that we haven't appreciated before. Maybe you have encountered joy. Maybe you've experienced seasons in your life of joy. Now, joy is something that we can experience as an emotion. You can experience joy as an emotion. It, it can be like you know, a wave of elation at, at hearing some good news or succeeding at something you know that you've worked hard at uh, sometimes that joyfulness can just be amazing and you know, it hits us like a rocket um, we can't contain it and uh, I remember that sense like for example that sense of joy if you're a football fan like in the summer when that second England goal went against in against Germany that that's what I'm talking about that that sense of joy that just it just hits you out of the blue if you're not an England fan that probably won't relate but you understand what I'm saying um, sometimes joyfulness can come more like a sense of, of deep relief you know like a sense of relief I remember um, when Phoebe was born we, we were in the hospital for what seemed like ages and when she finally arrived it was just this this deep sense of peace and just relief you know that I remember that sense of joy but you know, joy can actually be more than just a feeling, can't it? You know, joy can be actually a state of being that we exist in. And I love what Romans 14 says about this. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. See, living in the kingdom is, is to live in a state of being that is joy. It's existing in a place of joy. And it makes sense, doesn't it, that the kingdom of God would be completely different to the kingdom of this world. It's the opposite, you know. It's marked by joy. John, uh, in his epistle, the first epistle of John, says that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And that's not hard to believe, is it, when we look around and we see so much pain and, and so much suffering in the world. I actually read somewhere quite recently that the number of children and young people that are suffering from depression and anxiety in this country has skyrocketed over the last decade. It's so sad. And it's against this kind of black backdrop in the world that God's kingdom really shines. We're a people, church, who have that light within us, who have that 
opposite kingdom living inside of us. And that doesn't mean um, that we won't experience pain, does it? It doesn't mean that because we have this joy and this kingdom of God within us, it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience stuff like loss and sorrow uh, in this world. Jesus actually promised that we would suffer. Yeah, we'll have to walk through some, some deep, dark valleys and sometimes we'll experience things that are just extraordinarily difficult to understand. Some of us actually as Christians even will walk through seasons of, of depression or anxiety. Um, Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, is a good example of that. You know, an amazing minister of the gospel but struggled with bouts of, of depression. However, no matter how difficult and dark those seasons might be, we can wonder if we'll ever see light at the end of the tunnel, but this is where we access joy in those times. We know as Christians that this life isn't all there is. It's not all there is. It's not going to be this way forever. We know that this life is just a drop in the ocean of eternity. We have the joy of knowing that all of our troubles are light and momentary. And they're achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Isn't that incredible? You know, it's not the absence of trial and suffering where the kingdom of God shines the brightest. But it's when you can access joy in the middle of those troubles that the world really takes notice. Which brings us to Joseph. His wife-to-be, Mary, is pregnant. Now, Joseph knows that it isn't his. I mean, can we imagine how difficult that would have been for Mary? We, we know that, don't we? But often we forget about Joseph and how challenging that might have been for him. How might he have been feeling at this time? He lives in a, in a small town. Everyone knows him. And he's facing a scandal. Maybe he was also feeling confused and, and bewildered. Maybe hurt. Maybe rejected. We're told that, you know, he was a just man. He was a just man. And that he had resolved to divorce Mary quietly rather than expose her for what he believed was a, a sin. Now, this tells us a bit about the kind of guy that Joseph was. You know, he, he's clearly a kind man. He's clearly a, a really generous man, a gracious man. And it challenges me to think about how I might respond when I think that someone might have sinned against me. I don't know about you, but it's a challenge, isn't it, when we think about the way Joseph responds here. We might forgive them, but do we want to cover their sin? Do we want to keep them from other people finding out about what they did? Um, I think that's a wonderful example of, of grace here from Joseph. So this angel visits Joseph in his sleep and tells him the truth about Mary's pregnancy. She's pregnant, but, but not by another man, by the Holy Spirit. Now this message obviously would have been such a relief for Joseph, wouldn't it? Brought him so much relief. All of the weight upon his shoulders, you can imagine it just, just vanishing. How sometimes we wish that God might do something like that for us. You know, an angel show up and just tell us everything's going to be okay. You know, the things you're worrying about today, don't worry. 
they're not going to be the end of you or they're not going to cause you so much trouble but I sometimes feel like that myself but I think often when I feel low or when you feel you're going through difficult times often the last place we want to go is the Bible is to scripture or is to prayer but that's exactly the place we should be going right if God's word really is in the scriptures, if God's word really is to us infallibly, inerrantly through the scriptures, then that's the place we have to run whenever we feel stress or anxiety or depression. It's through hearing and believing that word that, that our burdens are lifted and we feel that joy of the Lord. You know, sometimes it's, it's not just about going to the Bible when you feel down you know, looking for a verse that's going to encourage you. I think it's more about living a lifestyle where you're immersed in the scriptures daily, you know. So when those times of trouble come, you have a ready defense. You're already living in scripture. You're living in God's word. And you're so caught up in it. You're so intertwined in God's story that you realize your place in it. Like, number one, you realize how great God is, how incredible he is, how he's working all things together throughout history to glorify himself, and you see your part in it, however small that might be. But equally, you see a God who loves you. You see a God who wrote the little part that you're playing out right now, and it matters to him. It matters in his eyes, and I just think that's amazing. You know, so it's more about just being immersed in that word so just like Joseph, we, we're comforted by it. So the angel tells Joseph to take Mary for his wife to call, him, to call their son Jesus, or Yehoshua, which is the uh, Hebrew version of that name. And we saw last week that the name Jesus actually means God will save, doesn't it? Yahweh will save. Joseph would have known that. He's a Hebrew speaker. And so the angel elaborates on the meaning of the name, doesn't he? He says, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. So here, we have really got the core of the gospel message, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's good news if you recognize you're a sinner, amen? So let's break this down a bit and try and understand what's being said. So Jesus will save his people, his people. So this means he has a people. And secondly, that this people is in need of saving. Why do they need saving? They're sinful. They're sinful. From what do they need saving? Their sin. From their sin. It's very simple. So let's just take a moment and ask what the Bible means by Jesus' people. Who is he coming to save? Now in Scripture, there are a number of passages that address the object of Jesus' mission. Okay, those who he came to save. So John the Baptist in, in the Gospel of John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The whole world. Wow. John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God so loved the world. Again, we've got the whole world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Again, we've just got this incredibly expansive 
mission that Jesus came to take away the sins of the world and he was God's love gift to the whole world in John 1 first John 2 sorry we have Jesus is the propitiation for our sins not for ours only but also the sins of the whole world again we've got this global mission of Christ and then in John's gospel Jesus says this in chapter 10 verse 11 I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep now we've got this this language which talks of a particular subset the sheep in Revelation 5 verse 9 it says and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe language people and nation so again we've got this idea of a group of people being saved out of the whole world so now we've moved from Jesus came for the whole world to the sheep and to a people from those nations now in John 6 Jesus is again he's talking about who he has come to save he says all that the father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but to do the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day John 17 9 he says I am praying for them that is the, the disciples I am not praying for the world but for those who you have given me for they are yours In John 17 20 he says I do not ask for these only that's the disciples but also for those who will believe in me through their word so that's actually you you're in the Bible Jesus is praying for all those who will believe so this might sound like a bunch of random scriptures I'm sharing with you but let me just draw this in what we see in the Bible is that Jesus in a very real sense is a savior to the whole world of men he, he came to the whole world and he is a savior of sorts to all to everyone he's a he's God's love gift isn't he that's what we celebrate at Christmas the giving of gifts we're celebrating the ultimate giving of the ultimate gift Christ coming into the world for all men but we also know that not everyone who ever lives is saved because of what Revelation says we know not everyone is saved but only those who believe so Jesus's people simply are those who will believe in him he came to save those who will believe in him for the forgiveness of their sins and who are those people who will believe in Jesus who are they well scripture teaches that this specific group of people were given to Jesus by the father a people who the writer of Ephesians says have been predestined to adoption before the foundation of the world verses 4 to 8 say for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one he loves isn't that incredible he predestined you if you believe in Christ he predestined you for, for his good pleasure before the world was even created 
And it says even that this predestination, it wasn't in accordance with your will. It doesn't say he predestined you according to your choice of him. It says he predestined you according to the good pleasure of his own will. So it isn't something that happens because God is forced to choose you. He chooses you from his own good pleasure. This is an extremely intense doctrine, right, that I'm trying to teach you here. I understand might have questions that are popping up as we're teaching through this. But it teaches us that we choose him because he first chose us. We choose him because he first chose us. He loved us first, and that's why we love him. That's the way the Bible teaches it. It's kind of a back-to-front way of the way we would think. Um, so you believe in Jesus because you were chosen to be among his people. So it's interesting, isn't it, that, that the basis for our faith is actually God. The reason why we believe is actually because God loved us and chose us. So all those who believe are all those who were chosen to believe. It's really clear in Acts 13, verse 48. So there's preaching to Gentiles, and, and Acts 13, 48 says this, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many who were appointed to eternal life believed, which is just very interesting, isn't it? It's the way it puts it. Those who believed were those who were appointed to eternal life. So who are Christ's people? They're all who will believe. And those people are called by the Bible, the elect. It's a word that's used to address Christians so often in the New Testament by the apostles and then outside of the New Testament by the church fathers. It's used again in the 16th century by the reformers and the Puritans, but not very much anymore. Um, it's kind of become a word that the church doesn't really know what to do with. It doesn't doesn't like to use it very often. But um, you know what, I, I believe, I believe in election and I believe in predestination. And I don't believe it because Calvin taught it. I don't believe it because Charles Spurgeon taught it. Uh, and I don't think you should either. I believe it because it's in the Bible, <laughs> you know? It's one of those pesky things in the Bible that just is there and we have to wrestle with it. And so I believe in our glory in these great truths. It doesn't change the gospel. We still must preach that all men everywhere repent and believe. It doesn't change it. But it just tells us something about the reason that people believe, right? Their belief is founded in the fact that God chose them to believe, which is just mind-blowing. So we're told Jesus will save his people from their sins. So we need saving. We need saving from sin. There's a lot of teaching, isn't there, these days about people needing healing, people needing restoration, people needing breakthrough, but there's precious little teaching or preaching about our need to be saved and especially saved from sin. Sin is kind of, again, is one of those ugly words that we don't often like to teach too much about, but, but it's there. And I think it's only when we catch sight of our sin that we really recognize our need to be saved. So Jesus is a saviour from sin. He does that in two ways, and I'm going to finish up shortly. Firstly, he saves us from the guilt of our sin. And he does this by taking our sins upon himself. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus on the cross took your sin, all of your sin, all of the stuff that you do in secret that we don't know about, he knows about, he knew about, and he took it in his body on the cross. It's a lot of sin, 
I don't know about you, but I am more acutely aware of my own sin today than I ever have been. Jesus took all your sin in his body on the cross and through his innocent blood that was shed, he bore the guilt for your sins so that you, when you're in Christ, you're no longer guilty. Isn't that crazy? You're no longer guilty of your own sins. So that means as Christians, when we're walking around feeling guilty about something we did last week that we've repented of and asked for forgiveness of, actually, you needn't walk around feeling guilty because in God's eyes, you're no longer guilty. You're no longer guilty of that sin because it was put on Christ. So guilt is not part of a Christian's life. It's not part of our walk, which is great news, isn't it? I have to remind myself of that very often because I can walk around feeling guilty for days before realizing actually Jesus paid for that. You know, Jesus has taken that for me. Guilt's a terrible weight that you don't need to carry. Secondly, Jesus saves you from the dominion of sin. So when he saves you, he doesn't only save you from the guilt, he saves you from the power of sin over your life. He enables you to live more righteously, to leave sinful lifestyles and patterns. We're commanded and empowered to walk away from sins, to repent from them that we used to love. Now that's good news for us, isn't it? For those of us who are tired of living under the power of sin. We're tired of being captivated by addiction and by repetitive things that we do that we hate, you know? This means that Jesus can save you even from those powerful lifestyle sins. He can empower you to walk free from them. Because you weren't originally, well, Adam wasn't originally created to bear sin in his life. He just wasn't made to walk around doing sin. And so we actually, as humans, we don't have a capacity to sin and not have it do damage to us. You imagine, for example, like a CD, right? Imagine a CD, what's it designed to do? It's designed to go in a CD player and to play music. What happens if you use it to spread plaster on a wall? Well, it might do a half decent job, right? Spreading that plaster, but are you gonna be able to put it back in the CD player and hear music afterwards? No, it will be damaged and it will be damaged irreparably. Okay, so that's kind of like you. <laughs> you were designed to glorify God, as we heard earlier. But when you go and sin, it actually damages you in a way that is kind of outside of the, the grace of God, irreparable. And so when we come to Jesus, he gives us the power to not only be free from the guilt of sin, but to actually walk away from it, to get free of addiction, to get free of all the stuff we do that we now hate as Christians. And even more than that, he will heal us of the damage that's been done by sin in our lives. You know, he'll heal your mind up of certain ways of thinking. He'll change those ways of thinking. He'll heal up damage from years of abuse. He can do that. Isn't that incredible? So how can we trust finally that he's going to do it? How can we trust that those things are true? Simply by these few words, God with us, Emmanuel. God is with you in this life and he's with you in your struggles with temptation. He's with you in your struggles with sin because he sent Jesus into the world. Today, he is with you. He's with his church by the Holy Spirit who has set up camp in your heart. He's regenerated you. He's given you the power to walk over sin and, give, and given you victory. He's giving us hope over despair, giving us joy and suffering. We can be joyful today because no matter 
what happens to us, God is with us and he isn't going anywhere, not ever. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's take a moment in prayer, shall we? Father, I want to just take a moment and and pray on behalf of all of us who are maybe struggling this this afternoon, rather, with sin. Perhaps there are things in your life that, that you're not happy with and you haven't been happy with for a while and you know you need to walk away from it. I pray that you know right now the presence of God with you. That God is with you by his Holy Spirit. And that through him you have the power today to walk away from that sin and not step back into it again. And so right now, just symbolically, Lord, we hand you whatever sins we might want away from us now, we want to walk away from, we hand them to you. And we say, no more. No more will that sin have dominion over me because I am in Christ. And we choose today to walk away from that particular sin or addiction, whatever it is. And I pray the Holy Spirit today give you the grace and the power to walk in holiness in that area of your life. pray that you might know the truth that God is with you today he's with you he hasn't left you and he won't leave you pray that you know this in the name of Jesus